love for you to join me at 1 Peter chapter 3. It can be found in your few Bibles on page 1889. 1 Peter chapter 3, the first seven verses. There we read um, Peter's instructions to wives and husbands in uh, what is often called the household codes of the New Testament. Before we read, I'm going to pray. Heavenly Father, may you enlighten us by your spirit. May we see in these words a reflection of Christ. May we grow in our ability to be disciples of Christ, whether we're married, whether we're widows or widowers, whether we're single. Um, Lord, we're all called to follow the example of Christ. We're all called to be Christ-like in our character. And, um, and these are things that we can apply in our lives regardless of our circumstances. Um, and so we pray, Heavenly Father, that you would bless the reading and preaching of your word. And may it be a means of grace to us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hear now the reading of God's holy, inspired, and infallible word. Wives, in the same way, be submissive to your husbands, so that, if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives, when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as braided hair and the wearing of gold jewelry and fine clothes. Instead, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past, who put their hope in God, used to make themselves beautiful. They were submissive to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her master. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Thus far, the reading of God's holy word, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Um, Bob Russell, uh, a preacher of a, a pretty big um, church in the Lexington, Kentucky area, um, preached on this very text at one point um, in his career. And uh, he opened up with uh, talking about uh, a cartoon, a comic that he saw one time. And it was basically um, that this preacher had prepared the pulpit area like, like a fortress. And he was peering through the crack of a machine gun nest, you know, basically a little tiny slit covered and protected entirely. And uh, the caption read, Today my text is 1 Peter 3, 1. Wives, submit to your husbands. Um, it is true that um, these kinds of conversations in our very egalitarian culture can be difficult. It is true that texts like this that have been abused to protect abusers can be uh, difficult to talk about. But when I say the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever, it's not just about John 3.16. It's also about 
1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, these instructions that we have here to wives, to husbands, and what that means. What does it mean for us in our Christian lives and our Christian walks? Um, this is very important stuff. This is stuff that uh, makes or breaks us as Christians. Um, and, and so what I'd like to, to do tonight is, um, is point out something that I think is very important to point out when we look at this particular passage. And that is that Christ is the example for both wives and husbands in marriage. Now, I don't think that's um, hard to see once we start addressing this, um, this passage more deeply. But on the surface, you're like, I don't really know how that is going to pan out. So we'll talk about it. The first is, uh, we're just going to, uh, how the wife uh, uniquely reflects Christ. And then basically, um, how the husband uniquely reflects Christ. So like that, okay? Point one, point two. So let's start with point number one. First thing you probably noticed was Peter uses six verses to address wives and one verse to address husbands. Um, the reason for that, I think, um, we'll find out as we, as we go through this. We need to be reminded, though, that Peter's discussion of these details is in a larger context, okay? Beginning all the way in chapter 2, verse 13, when Peter instructs the entire church on how they're to submit to authorities that are over them, governing authorities, um, the emperor... So there's a general context of submission that applies to all of God's people um, in society and in culture. So submit shouldn't really be seen as a, such a bad word. Um, and then in verse 18, Peter addresses what was a common uh, thing at the time, slaves. And he says, slaves, you need to submit yourselves to your masters. And the interesting thing that, that Peter says about Slaves in the first century context in which he is addressing is he says you need to submit yourselves to your masters even the ones that aren't good. Okay? Even the masters that aren't good, slaves, you have to submit to bad masters. Okay? Slaves, you have to submit even if you're going to receive unjust punishment. And he says it. Um... It is commendable if a man bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because he is conscious of God. But how is it your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. Now, last Sunday we talked about this, right? We talked about how um, this does not mean that we should take the first century situation, discussing it about slaves, and apply that to slaves in, um, in America the way that slavery was expressed in America, nor should we uh, 
place it right down and say, uh, well, in a, that means that in the context of an employer and employee, that employees should just submit to their bosses even if they're mistreating them, even if they're not paying them, whether what they said they would pay them or anything like that. Because we now have a culture and society that's been blessed by the gospel that has laws that protect employers and employees, that have laws that protect against uh, injustices and employment and situations like that, right? Well, the reason why I want to address this is because one of the first things that we should notice is that Peter is addressing in his conversation about wives those who have unbelieving husbands. Listen to, listen to the way that Peter speaks to wives. Be submissive to your husbands so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. So in the same way that um, Peter is addressing slaves who may have unbelieving masters, right? Because if you look other places in the New Testament, Paul will address slaves and they're masters, because if their masters are Christians, then their masters should treat them as Christians, right? Um, but here Peter's addressing slaves that are Christians, but their masters aren't. And Peter says, you want to know a way that you can win them over? You want to know a way that you can show them that you've been transformed by, the, by Christ? You've been transformed because you've become a Christian? That, that Christ has completely transformed your lives? Do everything good, receive injustices with a smile on your face, and in all your things, submit yourselves to them, and, and, and that will show them, right? Well, in the same way Peter's addressing this to wives in the first century, okay? You're saying, wives, if your husband has heard the word and has not believed, um, submit yourself to him. And, and in fact, Peter is saying this to wives who may uh, very well be at risk of receiving uh, punishment. In the first century, um, the idea of household codes was that the, the wife was supposed to have the same religion as the husband. Whatever the husband believed, that's what you're supposed to believe. And in fact, it was so, um, uh, it was so important that the wife not have any other friends but the husband's friends. Because it would be, seem, it would be seeming to be uh, inappropriate if the wife had a circle of friends that was not associated with the husband. You see what I'm saying here? So Peter's saying, you're already taking a large risk in your society and culture by believing in Jesus Christ, even though your husband's not believed in Jesus Christ. And by associating with your church and your brothers and sisters in Christ and church that are not your husband's friends. That's why Peter says at the end of his address to the wives, you, her daughters, if you do what is right and do not give way to fear, the wife is putting himself in a risky situation in the first century. Now, I, I bring this up because there are many even today who point to 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, as a reason to tell wives to stay in the house with their abusive husband that hits them and beats them. Because that's what this Bible says. But just like we shouldn't take Peter's address to the slaves and plop it right down on our 
context, right? It also is the same situation with wives. We shouldn't take the address that Peter is saying to the wives and say, well, now that you have a culture and a society that has been blessed and permeated with the gospel of Jesus Christ, that now has protections for wives in situations like that, that you shouldn't avail yourself of those protections and those provisions. Okay? So this is not uh, saying to wives that they should stay in a situation where they're putting themselves at risk, their life at risk, the, the risk their life, the life of their children at risk, or anything like that. Um, all right. Um, but we're talking right now about how the wife uniquely reflects Christ, and I want to talk about three things that um, A, B, and C. Okay. The first way that the wife uniquely reflects Christ is verses 1 and 2. Submit to transform. Peter speaks to wives and he says, in the same way, and this is addressing in the same way that he called slaves to submit to their masters, the same way that he called all Christians to submit themselves for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men, right? He says, in the same way, wives, you should be submissive to your husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. What I mean by submit to transform is in many ways people believe in a marriage that if you want your spouse to change, that you have to make them change. That you have to force them to change. That if you want them to lose some weight, then you've got to put them on a diet. You've got to tell them what they can and cannot eat. You've got to take control of the situation, right? That's how we often think about changing other people, is that we have to control them. We have to, uh, we have to, we have to put as much authority upon them as we possibly can. We have to constrict their choices. We have to um, uh, do what we can to force them to do what we want them to do, to change the way we want them to change. And Peter, he's saying it's the complete opposite. He's saying, you want to see um, your spouse change. Submit to them. And I've already addressed the context, so submitting here does not mean to whatever they say to do, um, to whatever they tell you to do. That's not what submission here means. It's a, it's a heart attitude of I want to see you as the leader of this household um, and respect you and um, follow you. That is my disposition, okay? But I'm not going to do that if it means um, what you're calling me to do um, is not what the Lord calls me to do or it's against what the Lord calls me to do. Um, and, and, and Peter's saying, if you submit to them, it's going to transform them. They're going to see... That beauty, the purity and reverence of your lives, they're going to see that, they can, that you have been transformed by the gospel. You have been changed by... You're gonna, they're going to see the power of the gospel in that attitude, right? Well, why do I say this is something that uniquely reflects Christ? Well, because we're told that when Christ came to this world, his entire life 
was in submission to the Father. He only did what the Father commanded him to do. He only said the words the Father called him to say. He was in the garden and he said to his Father, Father, if this cup can pass from me, please let it not be this way, but not my will, but yours be done. And it is through the submission of Christ that transformation came about. It is through the humbling of Christ that his exaltation came to be. Submit to transform is the way that wives uniquely reflect Christ um, in their marriage. And the second way is uh, inner beauty. Over outer beauty. Verses 3 and 4. Peter addresses it. He says, Your beauty should not come from your outward adornment, such as braided hair and the wearing of gold jewelry and fine clothes. Instead, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. Now, first of all, verse 3 is not saying that you should not braid your hair or uh, wear gold jewelry, because if it was saying you should not do these things, verse 3 is also saying you should not wear clothes. And I, I don't think that's what it's saying. Okay? What it's saying is that should not be the thing about you that is most beautiful. That your focus should not be on outward beauty alone, but it should be about the inward transformation of your person, okay? And why do I say this is something, this is a way that the wife uniquely reflects Christ? Well, first of all, I should say, all of us as Christians, men and women, are supposed to be more concerned about our inner beauty than our outward beauty, all right? But it is generally true that men don't use lotion and uh, moisturizer and uh, things like that. You know, my wife was complaining about my knees and my elbows looking pretty ashy lately. Um, this is what is so amazing about these verses, okay? First of all, Isaiah 53. What does it say about Jesus? It said that he was not special looking. It said that there was nothing about him outwardly that would draw you to him. It said that Jesus, the way he looked, was entirely normal. And so all those beautiful pictures of Jesus that you see, Anglo Jesus, just flowing hair, blue eyes, that's not Jesus. Okay? Jesus looked like any other person from the Middle East at the time that he walked this world. There's nothing special about him outwardly that would draw us to him. But what does the Bible say? What does Jesus say about himself? He says, come to me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest. Because I'm gentle and lowly. What does the Bible tell us about Jesus? He comes riding on a donkey, meek and lowly. Well, guess what? The words in verse 4, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, those are the same words 
in the Greek that are applied to Jesus. And so a way that the wife uniquely reflects Jesus is in her inner beauty being like that of Christ. A gentle and lowly spirit. Humble. Expressive of humility. Um, not always desiring their way. But trusting the Lord. And committing themselves to those, to him who judges justly. <coughs> so, um, that is another way that the wife uniquely reflects Christ. And the last one is, um, The last part that Jesus, uh, Peter's addressed to the to wives, he says, This is the way the holy women of the past, who put their hope in God, used to make themselves beautiful. They were submissive to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her master. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Well, one of the patterns that Peter has been talking about as he's been addressing this church is, is saying... Listen, you used to be Gentiles, but I don't want you to think of yourself as Gentiles anymore. You're Israel now. You are part of the church of God. You're part of the people of God. And so what Peter is trying to do, he's saying, before you had people that you looked to, um, that you would model your behavior after. You had role models in your former way of life, in your uh, empty way of living before that your forefathers taught you. When you were uh, separated from God and without hope in this world. Peter's saying, now I need you to understand that you have new role models. You have new women to look to. You have new role models to point to about the kind of character that you should imbibe. About the kind of character that you should now have as Christian wives. That's different than the people that you used to look to before, okay? So imagine you're walking through Jewel. You're going out the, sec the, the, the checkout aisle. And you see all those magazines there. Okay, first of all, pretty much at this point, if you're a Christian, you should be looking at them because half of them are just so inappropriate at this point in our culture and our society. But there's U.S. Weekly. There's all these kinds of magazines. And what are those magazines trying to do? They're trying to say, these are your role models. These are the celebrities. These are the people that you should want to be like and want to look after for the kind of person that you want to grow up to be. And Peter's saying, toss away all your magazine people. And I've got a new person for you to look to. I've got new people. I've got a new heritage, a new family history for you to look to. Okay? Well, how is this something that the, the way the wife uniquely reflects Christ? Because, verse 5, when Peter says, This is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to make themselves beautiful. Um, it's the same uh, word that Peter uses when he talks about Christ in chapter 2. When he says, instead, Christ, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Peter's saying, when Jesus was someone who was receiving injustice against him, the only one who really did receive any injustice because he'd not done anything wrong. 
he entrusted himself to God. He put his hope in God, okay? And then Peter is looking at somebody like Sarah, which, by the way, if you go back into the Old Testament and try to find this moment that Peter's talking about, it's a toss-away moment. It's like um, Abraham asks Sarah to do something, and she says, yes, my Lord. And it's this very insignificant, seemingly unimportant moment. But Peter is pointing to that and he's saying, look, this is the kind of attitude, this is the kind of um, uh, attitude and, and heart of submission that you should have towards your husband. Peter is looking to people like Sarah and Rachel and all the, uh, the matriarchs of the past. And he's saying, why, this should be your example and why should these women be your example instead of the magazine uh, examples that you see at Jewel Osco or whatever market store that you, you're walking out of. Why should these women be your example instead of the other women that are in the society and culture? Because these women followed Christ. They followed Christ's example. They put their hope in God just the same way that Christ put his hope in God. And so Peter's saying, follow those who follow Christ's. Example. Christ did this. You do this too. So that's how the wife um, uniquely reflects Christ. And if I don't spend the just same amount of time on the husbands, I'm probably <laughs> going to get in trouble. I was smart this time. How the husband uniquely reflects Christ. Um, verse um, 7 then turns to husbands. Now, this is what I want you to imagine, okay? It could very well have been possible that at the beginning of the church, the growth of the church, there were many women who belonged to the church. Um, that the church that Peter's addressing in First Peter could have been a uh, higher percentage of women, and that's why he spends six verses talking to women, especially women who might be Christian, or, or women who, who are Christians and their husbands are not. Now Peter's addressing husbands, okay? So that means he's addressing the Christian husbands that have put their faith in the Lord, okay? And so he's saying, um, this is how you should treat your wives if they're Christians or not Christians. This is how you should treat, this, this is how you should treat your wives if they're Christians. Husbands, this is... So he's not addressing... He's not addressing the husbands who were mentioned in his address to the wives about those who did not believe in the word and could be um, um, won over without words by the behavior of the wives because these men are Christians already. They're believers, okay? Um, this is the first thing he says. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate. So... first thing he says is, husbands, know your wife. Uh, the word, in the same way, be considerate, is live with your wife with understanding, with knowledge, okay? So know your wife um, is the first instruction that uh, uh, Peter gives to husbands, okay? 
And there's a couple ways that we can know our wives better. First is that we can study her uh, so we can love her better. You know, I made a joke this morning about not knowing my wife's favorite piece tea. Well, if I'm a good husband, then I will know my wife's favorite piece tea. I will know my wife's favorite flower. I will know my, I am studying her. And I am not thinking that she is the same woman that she was when I first married her. In some ways she is, but people change. People grow. People develop. People, and, and so, you, you know what's amazing about this experience that we call marriage is that every morning I wake up and I'm married to a new woman. And I get to study her. And see how life and the things that she's experienced have transformed her and developed her and changed her. I'm always seeking to know her. Um, and also, in, in, in Paul's instructions to husbands in Ephesians chapter 5, we read that husbands should wash their wives with the word. That's very interesting language. But um, another way that we can know our wives is that we can study the word so we can love her better. We can study um, what God's word says about sacrifice, love, devotion, um, faithfulness, these kinds of things. They're, they're found in God's word, okay? Well, how is this a way that the husband uniquely reflects Christ? Well, if there is one husband who knows their wife more than anybody else, that is Jesus Christ to his bride, the church. He has studied her before she was ever born, before she ever came into creation. He has studied her and known her intimately throughout thousands and thousands of years, millennia and millennia. And he, uh, he knows his, his wife, he knows his bride, and he continues to study her, right? So that's our example. We're to follow Christ's example. We, we, rene- we, we uniquely reflect Christ in our marriage by studying our bride. By studying our wife, okay? So that's the first thing that uh, Peter says. He says, husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives, okay? Well, number two is, pretty simple, pretty straightforward, live with your wife, all right? Um, it's hard to know your wife if you don't live with her. It's hard to know your wife if you're not around her on a, a, a significant amount of time. It's hard to know your wife if you don't spend time with her. It's hard to know your wife um, if you're, you're, you're not living with her. You're not living with her. Now, there are situations of circumstances where um, for parts of, of time you have to be apart because of work. But that's not an ideal situation. Um, an ideal situation is that you are living with your spouse, you're living with your wife, and you're seeking to live with her in knowledge and understanding. And, and, and part of the reason why God designed it this way is because when you stick two sinners together and uh, they rub up against each other, all kinds of character defects get expressed. Okay, All kinds of character defects get expressed. And the truth is, a, a big part of marriage is being sanctified. If you thought you were patient, now you get to really learn what patience is. If you thought that um, you didn't have pet peeves, now you're going to learn, wow, other human beings really annoy me. 
If you thought that um, life was pretty simple, pretty um, not complex, you're going to learn um, that there are sinful characteristics in your heart that you're going to have to let the Lord deal with you on if you live with your spouse, if you live with your wife. So you've got to live with her. By the way, the reason why that uniquely reflects Christ is because he has made a home for us that we're going to live with him forever. It's called heaven. New heavens, new earth. He has gone to prepare a place for us. Language that is specifically used in Jesus' time of that marriage covenant. The, uh, the groom would go and he would build an extension upon his father's house. And so he would tell his spouse, he would tell his um, fiance, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And then once I have built this extension upon my father's house, then we can get married and we can move into this place. And that's what Jesus is doing for us in heaven. So live with your wife. Um, the, the, the third thing here is honor your differences. Uh, husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner. Treat them with respect as the weaker partner. Now, a lot of people don't like this language, weaker partner. Um, but if you read Genesis, um, this is a part of what it means for us to be humans. The, the man was made, and then a part of the man was taken, and the woman was made. Um, this, this is part of what it means to be human, is to understand that in, uh, there's a, poor, uh, a core nature about men that they are to be the stronger of the two um, genders. And they are to be the protector and the provider, okay? And so this is why, um, this is why there's a part of us that, um, that does not like the idea of um, women being drafted into the military and having to fight on the front lines. This is part of us that doesn't like the fact that, um, that uh, women are, are doing these very tough contact sports because women are to be the nurturers. They're the ones that carry life. And here we are taking the nurturing, caring life of the genders and we're tossing it into a death field and a death mine. It, it, it's, it's not natural, okay? And so when Peter says, husbands, live with your wives... Um, and treat them with respect as the weaker partner, he's not saying that the woman is, is, is weaker in every aspect, that the woman is less than or uh, below uh, the, uh, the husband. He's just saying there is a, a real uh, physical, there is a real uh, natural um, reality to this. Um, and it means uh, that we as husbands should understand and see them as weaker in this sense, okay? And, and treat them with respect. Why does Peter say this? Well, because in a very real sense, when Peter was speaking to the wives who had non-Christian husbands in the previous six verses, these husbands could have been not treating their wives with respect as weaker partners, but using the fact that they were weaker partners as an opportunity to control, to manipulate, to abuse. Why do you think it is that husbands, it's more common that the man is the one that abuses, physically abuses 
the wife, because they're cowards and they know they're stronger than the women, and that does not make them good people, okay? So Peter's saying, you Christian husbands, you are to understand that your wife is physically weaker, and you're to treat her with respect because of that. She's like beautiful, fine china. Don't come rushing in like a bull. Okay? Well, how is this a way that we as husbands uniquely reflect Christ? Because the Old Testament tells us about Christ. And it says that he's gentle. And he's lowly. And it says that he will not smother a flickering candle that's just about to go out. He will not come in rushing like a wind and break down our stock. He understands our frame. And he respects it. Okay? That's a way that we are to uh, honor our differences in that sense. Fourth thing is and this is another reason why we can say that what Peter is not saying is husbands are better than wives because the wives the wives are the weaker partner. Because, Peter says, treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you in the gracious gift of life. So Paul, in another part of the Bible, will say, uh, there is neither men or women, neither slaves nor free, neither Greek nor Jew, but all are one in Christ Jesus our Lord. Okay? Uh, that is not a statement that gets rid of gender differences. That is not a statement that now says that it doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman, you can serve in any office in the church. That is a statement about the equality we have in the salvation that we've received in Jesus Christ. The salvation that I've received as a minister of the word is no different than any of you have received. I don't get a special salvation package, okay? And just because the wife is the weaker partner does not mean that she is not also co-heirs with Christ Jesus and will one day judge the angels. Do you see what I'm saying here? So when Peter says, treat your wife as respect as a weaker partner, but also treat her as an equal in Christ Jesus, she is an heir with you of the gracious gift of life. Um, her status in Christ is no different than yours. It's no different than yours. Um, the cross is the great equalizing playing field. Well, how is this a way that we re uniquely reflect Christ? Christ, God saw fit that the best way for us to receive salvation, the only way for us to receive salvation is that our Savior would be human. You know what I'm saying? In the book of Hebrews, it says, Christ is not ashamed to call us brother, sister. Paul says we are co-heirs with Christ. Now, Christ is still Lord. Christ is still Savior. But in an amazing and mysterious way, all the benefits that he receives, we receive. He has made us equals. Does not make us the Son of God does not make us um, like 
Christ in every way. We do not have a divine nature. But Christ has seated us with him in heavenly places. So we're reflecting Christ as husbands when we do this, when we treat our wives as equals in the salvation that we have received. And then uh, finally... I pray for her, pray with her. The last thing that um, Peter says to husbands is, um, do this so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Um, first of all, kind of frightening for Peter to say to us, and it should be a wake-up call for us men, um, in, in any, any of our relationships, that the way that we treat others, and particularly women in our lives, uh, could keep God from hearing our prayers. Um, Peter will go on later to quote from a psalm, Psalm 34. Um, It says, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Um, So Peter could maybe be alluding to that uh, when he's talking about this. But uh, there's another way that we can understand um, this last part of verse 7. And it says, So that nothing will hinder your prayers. Well, the your there is, is y'all. It's plural. Now, Peter could be saying um, you, y'all, as in all the Christian husbands that are in this church. Um, or Peter could be making the uh, perfectly appropriate assumption uh, that uh, the husband, the Christian husband, is praying with his Christian wife. Um, those, you've heard it said, those that... Uh, uh, couples that pray together, stay together. Um, but Peter's saying, if there is a, a, an, an inequality going on, if there is a lack of understanding that's going on in your marriage, um, that could hinder your prayers together. Um, so uh, one of the ways that we reflect, uniquely reflect Christ, by uh, the way Christ intercedes for us now, he's always praying for his bride, Right? He's always praying with his bride. Uh, is the, for us to pray with our, our with our wives. Pray for them. Pray with them. Intercede for them. Be with them. Pray. Yes, exactly. Pray for your wives because many of them had to take care of babies like that. Step in and change a diaper. I'm thinking about that right now. Double diaper duty. Woo! You see here, here how Christ is the example for both wives and husbands in marriage. Um, Christ is the example for all Christians. This is not something that we should uh, guard ourselves from or protect ourselves from or something that we should be afraid to talk about. This model of marriage that Peter addresses here in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1-7 through is a beautiful depiction of, of what happens when the gospel of Jesus Christ and salvation changes people from the inside out. Um, it's what happens when uh, men and women come together and say, uh, life is not about me anymore. Life is not about what I want and how I want it and when I want it. Uh, but I am setting aside my priorities 
um, for the sake of another. I am setting aside what I desire um, so that I can give my heart to another, so that I can show this person that I truly love them, uh, that I care for them, that I sacrifice for them, um, that I would do anything for them. This is a beautiful picture of uh, a marriage because it's a beautiful picture of what happens when Christ changes our lives. Um, it's a beautiful picture of, of a life, whether you're married or not, because Christ is supposed to transform us all. And um, even the relationships that we have in our lives, with family, friends, loved ones. Amen. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for this word. Thank you, Lord, that you have watched over us. We pray that you would protect marriage and family in this country, the marriages and families of this church, Cottage Grove, and its members. We pray, Lord, that you would continue to teach us what it means to be uh, the bride to Jesus Christ, our, our groom, what it means to be um, a husband, a wife, what it means to be a devoted follower of Jesus Christ. And we pray, Heavenly Father, that you would teach us more and more so that we may bring glory to you and that we may be transformed by your gospel. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.